Welcome to Energy in Action. I'm your host, Marcy Young, and as a Mito patient myself, I appreciate you and the community you've helped us to build. This podcast honors the triumphs and struggles of patients and families affected by this disease and celebrates the work being done by doctors and researchers every day to make it a safer world for our people. We are a support group and a podcast focusing on all things related to mitochondrial disease. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Energy in Action. Today, we are very lucky to have Dr. Fran Kendall on with us. And Dr. Kendall, she has been such a blessing to our mitochondrial community, and now she is an author as well as a geneticist. So I'm going to give her a moment to introduce herself, and then we'll get into it. I see patients with rare connective tissue diseases like EDS, both groups of diseases, although the pathophysiology is very different, they share a lot of problems in common, like autonomic dysfunction, like GI issues. And so over the years, because I've learned how to manage their problems, I've kind of become a broader expert in a number of other diseases that share these common issues. In rare disease, it's not just about the ability to diagnose it. It's also about the ability to manage it. And of course, in most of the diseases we deal with, despite a lot of the advances that have transpired over the last 20 or 30 years, it's still, it's still symptom management. And so if you're able to manage problems and mitigate some of the associated issues that, that folks struggle with, then their quality of life improves. And, and that's, of course, I'd like to be able to give everybody a magic pill and everything goes away, wouldn't we all, but that's not where we're at right now. So short of that, um, again, by doing it for a number of years and, and honing that practice and seeing how things work for patients, I've become very um, astute at providing care for these various problems. And so, you know, my my patients, they get some modem, modicum of relief and improvement in their day-to-day struggles by having someone manage them on it, you know, helping them manage the problems on a day-to-day basis. There's so few people out there doing what you're doing. And I know from support groups with people with mitochondrial disease, it is so easy to go to a doctor's appointment and the doctor has no clue what your condition is or how to treat it or how to handle you. And for you to be able to spread education and awareness and just help other physicians understand these rare diseases is so important to our community. So we thank you. And it feels like, Dr. Kendall, that even though you are helping people throughout the country and that you're helping at a hospital level and you're helping the physicians, it seems like you personally have really provided personal care to those suffering from these rare diseases and to their families. So if I, as a mitochondrial patient, if I flew to see you, would I then be able to continue to follow up with you based on the care that you've suggested prescribed for me? So when you say follow up, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. Like keep in touch throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, we we do. I mean, of course, you need local providers mm-hmm. as well. So a good local team, and that can be a really good PCP or some other specialists, but you just need somebody to be able to quarterback whatever it is that you need locally. Because, you know, 
of course, being in medicine for a while, there's certain areas of the country where I do know some of the local providers and systems, but others, of course, not. And so I can't help you navigate that. But a lot of providers, if they're a good PCP in particular, they are very open to help with their patient population. So I provide a good guidepost for, okay, this person sounds like they're full all the time and they have nausea, maybe they have gastroparesis, let's do a gastric emptying study. You know, so I give them a roadmap to take care of these patients and to assist with their evaluation and management. So it's a little more challenging if you're out of the area, but it, it's it's not impossible to do. And so I do see, and over the years, I have seen patients from all over the country. And sometimes people, you know, they can't travel because of medical issues Mm -hmm. or other issues. And again, we can even do remote consultations, but as long as you have a local provider that's willing to work with you, and again, a lot of the the PCPs are, if they're willing to take on complex patients, they're generally willing to accept assistance for the care, meaning some guidelines to help with it. And so we can generate a roadmap for them, and then we kind of go through it and, and they they're able to help and and manage those patients with guidance. I see. That's also important. And I feel like your new book, Shades of Grief, Echoes of Hope from the Darkness, is a beautiful piece of work, several pieces of work put together. I've really enjoyed picking it up several different times over the last couple of weeks since I've had my own copy. But I feel like it's a culmination of the impact that different families and people and physicians and patients have, have had on you. Tell me about the inspiration for your book. Is that where it's at? Is What made you want to write this book after working as a geneticist for all these years? Well, I've always been interested in, in writing. I've, I've been writing uh, not not for public consumption necessarily, but since I was a teenager. And that was just something I've always been passionate about. And when I was in high school, my English teacher wanted me to go into journalism school. And that never really hit my radar. I was doing it more because that was a passion, not because I thought you could do anything with it. And so I love science, I, I suppose, more than writing. And so medicine and science, and that's where I ended up. So I've always had that innate passion for it. But in terms of the inspiration for this particular book, I mean, I think it certainly started with my patient population. And so when I was in at, at Boston Children's, the very first piece in the book is 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 titled only a moment and it's about one of my patients with a rare metabolic disease and she was a a beautiful little girl very shy but but just an amazing spirit and she had a very challenging disease Um, not that they're not all mind you but this particular disease would cause severe crises intermittently and she got very sick. She was from outside of the immediate Boston area. So she got very sick. And after a few days of trying to manage her locally, they, they flew her into Boston Children's. And she was, we did everything we could, but she had sustained significant brain damage and she passed away. And so it broke my heart. And she was the inspiration for that particular piece. And that was the first one. And I wrote that over 20 years ago. And then, of course, there's been many, many, many patients who have touched me profoundly over the course of my career. But of course, some 
stick out more than others for any number of reasons. And another piece that I wrote in there is called Yellow Boots. And it's a, and he happens, this little guy happened to have mitochondrial disease. The other young lady did not, but um, Brody did. And what's amazing about his story, if there's, there's multiple levels of, of complexity to his story. Of course, it's my journey with him as a mitochondrial patient and everything he went through as he struggled through it and his determination to be, quote, normal, if there's such a word. But he would do everything in his power. To, I, I don't have mito. That's what he would say. So if you tried to tell him he had a problem, he didn't want to hear it. But his mother is an amazing person as well. So the story is also about my, my journey with her along with him. And she's a nurse and she's my best friend. And we didn't know each other before that. I was just going to ask. So him being under your care brought you to your best friend? Yes. Oh, that's such a beautiful story. So when... His mother, of course, um, during the height of his illness, she, of course, she couldn't work. She was spent most of her days in the hospital. After she, after he passed away, she went back to school. And as part of her training, she did time with me for both her nursing degree. And she was an LPN when she started and she got her subsequent, got her bachelor's. And now she's a nurse practitioner. So for both parts of her training, she spent time in our office. And she's an amazing woman and an amazing nurse and nurse practitioner. So the story is, that's why I said it's complex. It's not only about a patient and just separating that, it shows how we as physicians, if we connect with our patients, if we're there, we become an integral part of their lives. And I try not to ever forget that. And what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes you can walk into a room, you talk to people and you leave, but if, if you're not cognizant of what you're saying or doing, you have no idea how much impact that might have on someone. And so I try to make it a holistic approach to people. It's not just about, okay, try this and try this. I want to connect with them and be there for them on multiple levels. And so because I do that and it comes at a price, because when they, they're sick or they pass away, part of you passes away with them. You feel it really heavy. You do. And so I've had many, many patients like that. But these two children inspired me to write those two particular pieces. So that, that was the inspiration. And then I've shared those pieces with people over the years. And it was really my, my friends who encouraged me to compile a lot of these writings into this manuscript with the intent of sharing my personal journey uh, with the hope that it would impact other people to deal with their grief and to move through it as best as they can with whatever mechanisms they can. And so the real precipitating factor that got me to compile everything was really the death of my parent. So, you know, when your parents go that's your you know your foundation in the world is certainly as a child as you get older of course you have your more independent life but it doesn't mean they're not your parents anymore but when they pass away especially when they're both gone there's so much besides the grief associated with them it's the liquidation of their lives it's the end to chapters in your life so it made me become more introspective at that time so i re readdressed or, or re-examined 
the whole process of grief. So which piece uh, started that type of writing for you in regards to your parents? I mean, I personally found birthday candles so impactful as I read it, thinking about my life and how I try to honor those who are gone with my own children. You know, was there a piece that's that was a catalyst for you writing in this way for your parents? I think, well, I, I wrote the eulogy for my dad when he passed, but I, I, I had written a few other things about my mom because she passed away before he did. I think Dust of Their Ashes was really the thing that, that got me to start to explore that, you know, profound loss of those that are closest to us. And, and again, as, as you know, having read the manuscript, it, it explores different aspects of that. You know, again, from the, the profound loss of the, the, these people that were your foundation, your, your strength as a child, and then as you moved into adulthood. But it, again, it's also just the loss of them. It's the end of a chapter of your life. It's the liquidation of their life. It's an introspective look at what is life? What does it mean? You know, what? why are we here? How do we deal with all of this stuff? I feel like once your parents are gone, these walls have been put up where you can't get any further knowledge about yourself that you would want to know or traditions or things you did as a child. And it just creates this immediate barrier to all of that. Exactly. And that, that is, that it, that's part of it as well. You know, it takes a while after they're both gone. You, you think of something, you go, oh, I'm going to ask mom or I'm going to ask dad. And they're not there anymore. So again, everything that you are aware of from your family or um, details of those early years, it's gone. If you don't know it, you never will. They're lost to that movie reel of your life. Mm -hmm. It feels so final. Exactly. And a lot of the people in our mitochondrial community, they're dealing with genetic-related diseases. So I can probably make the assumption that those in our community have experienced a lot of loss beyond themselves, you know, beyond their own condition, that they're also dealing with some compounding grief of the loved ones in their family that they have lost. And that's absolutely true. Uh, whenever you're dealing, of course, with these genetic disorders, it's often affecting more than one family member, sometimes multiple generations. And, and that, that grief is so, so heavy and it's so crushing. And it can, it, it can clearly break us, especially if you've had to deal with it for multiple people. And, and especially if it's a child. As far as I'm concerned, I, I don't think there can be anything more crushing than the loss of a child. It's a it's a break in the way it's supposed to be. You know, your the grandparents go, the parents go, then the child goes. Um, as you you know resume the next generation status, but it's it's profoundly devastating when it's when it's a child. Mm. I know it all too well, and I I can very much agree with you. It's very unnatural, and it can be very scary to the other children in terms of what fears develop for themselves, but for a parent to have to deal with that type of loss with their own child is just absolutely heartbreaking. Definitely the biggest tragedy. Yes. I think what's important in a grief book, just from my perspective, is that you can take it in bites because sometimes it's hard to sit down and just continuously read about these heavy emotions. And what I like about your book is that there's pictures and that 
the pieces are short and they're separated. So if I'm feeling like I'm really, you know, grieving today for whomever in my life is gone, that I can pick up this book and I can get something out of one of the pieces and then I can put it back down and it would and it will have been a benefit to me without that daunting idea of reading a grief book for, you know, 30 plus minutes. I agree with you. And that's in part the reason I, I wrote it that way. Although some of the different pieces are, are short or, or limited because they're addressing a particular person or situation. But that's what I've heard from other people as well, is that, you know, of course, dealing with grief is is overwhelming and, and we can often deal with heavy emotions only in limited time frames. We can't sit and dwell in it for hours on end because we become overwhelmed and dysfunctional. That's exactly what other people have reported back to me or, or told me about one of the things that they like about it. And the pictures, the photography, my husband is a, a wonderful photographer and we used his original photography. And so how we did that component of it is he had the man, after I completed the manuscript, I gave it to him and then he would read through the pieces and he's got thousands of photographs. It took him, I don't know, a couple of weeks at least to go through everything and find what he thought would support the emotion or heighten the feeling for each and every piece. So of course, to some people, they it might not do that, but from from his perspective, he thought that those different photographs helped portray, I guess, the emotion of the piece. I agree, especially as you're reading separate pieces to be able to put a picture with it and it kind of ties it all together. It's it's really beautiful. As I mentioned that the birthday cake piece really resonated with me or birthday candles, excuse me, really resonated with me. And that picture is like a very dark background with a darker cake with maybe like a chocolate frosting. And the only bright light is the candles. And within that piece, there's a lot of talk about how to honor someone once they're gone. And I work on that with my kids a lot since both of my parents are gone. And what can we do so that we can keep the memory of both of them alive within our home? And we're always looking for new ideas. And it's a topic that I want my friends to be thinking about as they lose parents to really keep the memory of alive of of their lost loved one. And I think that this piece really resonates. And at the end, it's it's so beautiful. It says, and while I promise to find the joy in this life, I know forevermore that without you, the candles will burn dimmer, the cake will taste less sweet, and the coffee more bitterly. And in my heart, I will mourn you always. I just, I feel so much for that ending paragraph. And I'm, I'm guessing others in our mitochondrial community will be able to, you know, find themselves within that piece or, or another piece. So I hope everyone can get a copy. Where can they get a copy of your book? There's a number of places that they can uh, purchase a copy. One is directly from the publisher. It's Rose Dog Publishers. And Rose Dog Publisher or Rose Dog Bookstore, I think, is the actual link, which I do have on a Facebook page. It's also available at Amazon. Uh, and I believe even I think Barnes and Noble on their websites as well. So there's a couple of different places. So any any, any of those avenues. Do you have any other books in the works? 
Well, I, I do, but again, my day job tends to keep me busy, so I only can work at some of that stuff intermittently. But I do, I have a children's book that I, I wrote a little while ago, but I haven't attempted to get it published yet. And I have kind of a, well, an, a novel loosely based on my, my family and, and history. So that's probably only three or four chapters in, so I have a little ways to do. But I do love to write. And it's for me, again, it's it's one of those passions that I've always had, even as a, as a young person, um, a young, you know, a teenager, and I'll probably always write. For this book, Shades of Grief, there were times when I would write pieces and I would be so emotional and just sit and sob. And my husband said to me, are you sure you want to keep doing this? And, and I said, as hard as it is, it's very cathartic. And I think if people can honor their grief, they're able to move through it. It's only when we recognize something and we embrace it that we can, we can come to terms with it and move on. But one of my patients who read the book said, well, can you write another one about more patients? <laughs> and I said, well, maybe, maybe at some point. So it was nice to know, though, that it touched her in a way that, that, you know, she wanted to hear more. And another patient's mom, who is um, her mother, I believe, is past, is in her final days to, to weeks, said to me, thank you for writing this. But like you, she said the same thing. It's, it's hard. I can only, I can only read part of it and I have to put it back. But yes, I hope to you know, one day publish more as I have more time to, uh, to write. So Dr. Kendall, through all of your work with your patients and all the grief that you've experienced professionally and personally in your life, what are your life lessons? What are some of the things that go through your head that kind of get you through all of this? That's a very good question. I think probably the most important thing is to embrace each other, embrace the people that are important to you, you know, the old saying of don't sweat the small stuff, although that's much easier to say than to actually do. But I think life can be very hard and challenging on, on many levels. And I think if you if you are able to let some of that stuff go, but to em embrace each other and what people mean, you won't have any regrets through life. And I think to not only to embrace each other, but to en enjoy, not sweat the small stuff, but enjoy the small things. You know, most of life is lived day to day. Yes, we all have big events, weddings and, you know, trips and, and, and all sorts of other parties and things like that. But it's day to day. And it's to try to find the joy in, in the day to day events and to find what brings you joy and comfort. And I kind of end the book with some of my thoughts about that, about how I find comfort in the, in the world. Uh, and that includes everything from nature. I just enjoy being in the world, seeing the beauty of it. That includes, you know, spending time with the people I care about. It's writing, whatever it is for a given individual, but make sure you find the time for your quiet moments and, and to honor your own needs. And so 
I think they're the, the major things that I have learned through it all. And as I touch on in the book, you know, I had cancer myself. And so as a physician, it's a very different position to be in where you have to be the patient and you have to let go and let the other people, the other doctors in my case, do their job and do their work. But it's also very humbling. And I understand what it means to be in pain. I understand what it means to be afraid. Uh, I understand what it means to deal with things chronically. Many cancer patients have long-term issues due to the damage of their surgeries or their radiation or the chemo, and I'm no exception to that. So it's made me a better physician because when somebody says, I have peripheral neuropathy, I know what it's like. <laughs> My feet are numb every day. So I think it's, again, it's been a humbling experience, but, but through it all, it's about what my parents said as, you know, they inspired me to love, be loved, and to be to service of others. And I think that they're the guiding principles I hold on to in my life, um, along with the other things that I mentioned already, how I get through um, some of the challenging times. You're so inspiring and you're so committed to your patients and the work you do. And I appreciate your willingness to open up in this way and to share your book with us and to share your background with us and, and all of your personal journeys. And it's been a pleasure talking to you and learning from you. And again, you are such a pinnacle in the, in the mitochondrial community and we want more people in the world to focus on rare disease and our, our mitochondrial community. So we thank you and thank you for being with us. Oh, you're very, very welcome. And, and thank you for allowing me the opportunity to talk a little bit about something that's near and dear to my heart. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I encourage you to browse other Energy in Action podcast episodes. I'm so inspired by the resilience of those in previous episodes, and I know you will be too. 